slightly different this week i always wonder at the start of a podcast why and it happens in most podcasts why do people say what the podcast is because surely if you're listening to it you know what it is yeah i think it's it's a legacy of radio isn't it i think i suppose so yeah uh, speaking of which just completely apropos of nothing really um i got an amazon echo dot this week is that the small the, the round one. one, yeah, the small round one, which well, I, looks I, like a hockey puck. Yes, and yes. I've, ne- I've never had an Alexa product before, um, yeah. and so there's a radio station um, around here um, called Pulse One, which is quite a good one, nice eclectic mix of music, and mm. so I was working, um, and I was like, oh, Alexa, play Pulse One radio, um, and so she started, as she does, she's very diligent as our Alexa, uh, and I was sat listening to the music and I was working away at my computer and I was working away for about an hour and a half, two hours before I realized they did an ident thing, you know, that they do at the top of an hour. And I discovered that I was listening to Watford Hospital Radio. <laughs> not How long did you all. say it took you to realize that? What's that? How long did it take you to Around realize you were listening to Watford hours. Hospital Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the music mix was excellent. Oh, that's good to know. So, um, but yeah, so that was, um, yeah, so I think that's you why must have been You must have been very focused on what you were doing not to notice that. Yeah, I don't really know what I was really doing even. Were uh, you daydreaming? I think I must have been. I probably got no I work can, done. I picture you as, now again, this is going to be a very, this seems to be a repeated reference here, but in the second Twilight film, oh yes, there is a scene where Bella is very depressed and she's sitting on a chair, <laughs> and it it represents how long she's depressed about the fact that Edward has left her. And she's sitting in a chair, mm. looking out of the window, and it keeps panning round and round. Mm. And in a very cliched way, the seasons change as she's sitting there looking bored and depressed. Yeah, I imagine you sitting in a chair, staring out the window at nothing, listening to Watford Hospital Radio. <laughs> it's not too far removed from the truth, to be honest. Um... I do sit staring, and actually, I've got um, like I've got a balcony in my flat, and right. you open the doors, glass doors, onto the balcony. But beyond the balcony, there's just trees about ten meters away. Like you can't see anything other than trees. So oh. it is a bit staring at nothing. You know, right. there's nothing to look at. Um, I do spend a lot of time staring. I spend a lot of time on the phone with my job. I have to phone people a lot. Of course. So I'm just wandering around my flat when I'm on the phone. Like, I should really. What's that? No, I was going to ask how you find working on the phone rather than in person. Oh, I hate it. I don't mean the details of your job, but just how do you find it? Like, this new way of working that we're all talking about? Some people really like it. Um, I don't. Um, I think it's funny because I always thought when I was a teacher, and I'd get to the end of the school day and I'd be like, I don't want to speak to another human again until nine o'clock tomorrow morning. And I thought that that was because I didn't like people. And what mm. I'm discovering is that 
actually I do like working with people I do like being amongst people whilst working I like to be able to go and talk to them and have a bit of banter and bit of chat backwards and forwards well, people do often say that you're a man who likes to press the flesh yes indeed and um, and i'm finding sitting at home is actually really difficult because if i'm working with my clients for example um whereas if i was face to face with them 20 minute half an hour conversations are normal yeah on the phone you're kind of halving that at, at best mm. you know you run out of things to say because you know, that face-to-face thing is, you, you, as we do in our conversations on this, you kind of spiral, you go from one place to the next and you kind of jump around, whereas on the phone you can't do that. No, you can only do it, I mean, like you and I can still do it because we know each other very well yes. and we know our conversation patterns very well. But if it's someone, like a work colleague, yeah. or someone you work with, it's very different. And especially if you're doing it, if you're doing it without seeing each other, it's yeah. really difficult. And if you're doing it over FaceTime or Zoom, it's even worse yeah. I, I really I don't like that at all. I hate it. Yeah, no, I struggle with that as well, if I'm honest. And I think that um yeah, I can't wait until the day that they tell us that we can go back to the office. Uh, no, be nice because when you talk to somebody, everybody you talk to looks like they're in an ISIS hostage video. <laughs> Doesn't matter what their background is. It just looks like True. you're talking to someone who's been captured by terrorists and it, I don't like it. No, it does. And and everyone just looks really rubbish in them, doesn't it? I mean not just the background and the idea of you know, being a terror victim, but you more just look, everyone just kind of, you're not seeing many people who are looking tanned and fit and healthy. No. Well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe all the people I'm talking to are wearing orange jumpsuits and they're looking <laughs> pale. And that's where I'm getting that from. But you're right. Because people are not going out and getting as much mm. sun and exercise as they were, then people probably are looking a bit pastier than they would have done a year ago. And even those people, I mean, obviously I live by myself, but even those people that like yourself, who have a family around them, if it's the same people 24 hours a day, seven days a week that you're seeing, I think human beings need to see other people. Yeah, definitely. You know, like, you, you can get that sense of energy. You pick up energy from other people. You pick up new ideas from other people. Uh, I don't think you, re- you don't realise that until you don't have it. Yeah, exactly. I'm starting to think, when I read The Shining at the start of all this, <laughs> The Shining for me is now almost like autobiographical. <laughs> This will be very concerning if your family listens to this podcast. I hope they're not. <laughs> what do you think? You know, in the film The Shining, mm. where Jack Nicholson breaks through that iconic moment where he breaks through the door and he shouts, here's Johnny. Yes. A reference to Johnny Cochran, the famous talk show host in America. Yes. Well, if that was you or I, what would what would we have said? What would be our thing? Here's Parky. Welcome to Bogan. <laughs> <laughs> it's Michael Aspel here. It's Russell Harty. <laughs> I'm not really sure. I can't imagine that being, you know, people often think that is one of the scariest moments in cinema. Yeah. I can't imagine me breaking through a bathroom door with an axe and then shouting, it's Graham Norton time, is going to be no. quite as scary. That's true. But I could do that because what you could do is, this would be creepy. You imagine this, like the, the, the wife and child are stuck in the bathroom mm. and I all stubbly and sort of unkempt looking, well, like I usually do, break through the door with an axe, poke my head in and go, it's Graham Norton time. (laughs) (laughs) Do my Graham Norton laugh. laugh. That would be terrifying. I mean, the only way you could do it, I suppose it would be terrifying, is if you broke through the door and then you kind of had an even more of a split personality thing and sort of went, hi, it's the Ali McCoyst. 
and Fred McCauley show. <laughs> I mean, that would be terrifying. Oh, that would be terrifying. Do you know I share a birthday with Ali McCoyst? Do you? Yeah. Oh. I mean, he's about 15 years older than me, but we were born on the same day. Yes, Super Ali. Paolo Rossi, the Italian superstar, and oh. Ali McCoyst, two football legends that share birthdays with me. Wow. Uh, the only person that ever shared a birthday with me that I knew that was famous was uh, the sadly now departed Tim Brooke Taylor of the Good oh. fame. Oh, that's, that's, well, that's brought a bit of a downer to things, hasn't it? It has. He died only a few weeks ago, didn't he? He did. Yeah. Yeah. So, so coronavirus life, um, it's, it continues. It's, um, well... Well, does it? Does it continue where you are in England? Well, that... I mean, what, what from what from all I, I mean, from what we're seeing in the news, there's you know pictures of beaches and parks <laughs> flooded with people. And yes. is that is that kind of what it feels like down your neck of the woods? To be honest, yeah, it does. Um, I obviously I now work from home, so night between nine and five, um, most Monday to Friday. I'm virtually always in my flat working from home. So in that sense, I still feel like coronavirus life is still existing and still happening. Um, However, there is a part of my job where I have to go out and about and visit people. And um, as in key worker status, I hasten to add. And um, the roads are just as busy as they've ever been. Wow. Um, I would say not the motorways, but the normal roads um are really are busy now um you still have obviously have to queue before you get into tesco's Mm -hmm. but like it's hard i think i think now to be honest if you say for example you'd been abroad somewhere and you came back and you flew into manchester and you came and stayed here for a couple of days you wouldn't necessarily know there was a lockdown going on right i mean you would look around you and you just be thinking oh it's a little bit quiet maybe uh, but that's all. You see, up here, it's still pretty much in place. Mm. You've got roadmap now, though, don't you, I think? Well, this week, the Scottish government gave, you know, they, they, they released the roadmap for coming out of lockdown. Mm. But the difference between what our government has done and what the UK government done is is enormous. I mean, in our case, we've been given a four-stage roadmap of what could happen. Right. And every step of the way, we've been told that, you know, there has to be these criteria in place before they can move. You know, we're going into phase one as of Thursday coming, uh, Thursday the, the 28th of May. And obviously, they're going to review it on a three-weekly basis. And if after three weeks, things have progressed to the point they want them to, we move on to phase two. I don't right. think that's happening in the UK government's briefings and things they've put out. As far as I can tell from watching the UK stuff that comes out at five o'clock. I mean, I've kind of dipped in and out of it this week because it has been a bit more, there's been things happening. All I can understand is it's just a case of, right, schools are going back this day. Um, It doesn't matter if things are in place or not. The schools have to go back in the first. And yeah, football can probably start again. And yeah, you can probably do this. And there doesn't seem to be any clarity or guidance coming from the UK government at all. And I can understand why there are scenes of mass gathering and why there's a lot of confusion amongst mm. the British public because th- there is real, th- there doesn't seem to be a clear and concise message in terms of what we're supposed to do. No, 
it's it, we've reached a point I think in England where it's impossible to police a lockdown. There is no way that you can police this lockdown now. It's too. I mean, there are set guidelines and they are quite clear. You know, you can go out of your house to exercise, you know, more than once a day. You can meet with somebody that's not of your household in public outside if you're two meters away. I mean, there are quite clear guidelines, but there's a vagueness to them in the sense that if you can't work from home, you should go back to work. Mm. And who, who decides if you can work from home or not? Like, do you decide or does your boss decide? Um, the government's not saying certain industries should or shouldn't. Um, no. So it's very much on the individual employer and the individual employee. Um, and, but obviously, who's to decide? Like, the police, if the, car, if the streets are really busy with cars, who are the police supposed to stop and say, are, are you going to work? Mm. Because it's just, it's, there's just too much of it. There's too many of it. Um, and... I think that where we're at now is it's it's very hazy and what seems to and obviously it's looking from afar from Scotland and it's a different um, it's a different environment entirely but it's not being fought out on the front pages in Scotland there's a there's a culture war going on in the front pages of the um, English newspapers yes. fueled I think by party political grievances. On, on one side, I wouldn't want to say both sides, but on one side, trying to get mm. their message across, and they believe the message is more important than the facts, I think. Well, it does seem that in England, the politicians are far more keen on catchy slogans and sound bites and new policies that they want to just suddenly, I mean, it's like a new policy every single day, yeah. rather than just coming out and saying, look, here are the scientific facts, here is what we want you to do. And the other, the other thing that seems to be missing in the sort of UK advice is time. And, yeah. you know, like, it, it was only last, a week and a half ago that we had Boris telling people, you're going back to school in three weeks. In Scotland, we've got three months till the schools go back. Yeah. The teachers have a month in June to go into school and start preparing, you know, the classes, the corridors and the, the, the whole place for the kids returning in August. Middle of August, it's three months away. And we're being told that it's going to be staggered. We're going to have, you're not going to be in school every day. There's going to be, you know, home learning. Classes are going to be half the size. It's kind of like what we were talking about last week. Yeah. What they're looking at doing is basically having kids in four days a week um, on on like kind of alternate weeks. Uh And then, you know, they do a week in school, four days, and then a week at home, five days, four days. And there's going to be a deep clean somewhere in the middle of that. Uh-huh. And um, but again, our government in Scotland has said this can only happen if the number, the R number, mm. stays down over the summer holidays. If it doesn't, the lockdown will continue. So I think that's helped up here that there is we have this roadmap and it's very clearly lined out in terms of what we have to look forward to. And I think the good thing up here is that the schools and other places as well are being given very strict guidelines in terms of what they need to do in England I don't get the impression that they're going to stagger because I believe that was one of the concerns that was put to the government this week that this you know the the school timetable would have to be different and that times would have to be different and days would be different and the government has just said no no it's just back to normal back to normal just do social distancing but everything should be the same or am I misreading that no not particularly I think I think to an extent is I know a couple of teachers down here and um 
it's it's like only a few year groups are going back in. Like, well, I know in June they're talking about yeah, like maybe two year groups in primary school and yeah. the ones that are doing exams in secondary school. So it won't be a full school. I think that I think I think they are expected to go in more days. I think the younger ones, particularly uh, like the four and five year olds, uh, will probably be going back four days a week. I think. Right. Uh, maybe the year, well, the, the equivalent of primary sixes will be going, um, I think, maybe less than that, two, three days a week or something like that, um, so that they can stagger that, because obviously they're bigger, and I presume that makes a difference. I'm not sure how. Uh, I think what, where you've got a problem in England, as opposed to Scotland, is that Scotland's got a very unified educational uh, establishment environment. Yeah. Um, mm. It's also got the GTC which acts as a sort of, you know, a professional body for, for teachers as well as mm. the unions. Yeah. Um, and the unions appear for the most part to have really quite a good relationship with the government, the Scottish government. I mean, I know they fall out over pensions and, and whatnot, but in general, they, they have a fairly unified structure. And also all the schools are run by councils. Yes. That's not the same in England. In, no. in every single one of those things is not is not there in England. It's not there in England. You've got a wider spread of unions. The unions hate the government, especially this government, um, and they have done for 10 years. Uh, you've got the fact that private companies run educational trusts or, edu- or academy trusts. So you could get one set of academies that are definitely going back, you know, on the 1st of June, and then the school next door, which is actually run by a different academy trust, might say no, no, we're not opening yet. We're not happy with this. I understand a lot of people are unhappy as well, but the fact that you know the, the sort of regular schools are opening on the first of June, but Eton isn't opening its doors till September. Yeah, people <laughs> are wondering why that would be the case. Maybe, maybe there's just a higher R number at Eton specifically, because <laughs> Eton is well known for its small, cramped conditions, isn't it? It's a very, very small campus. Yeah, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny little building. And I think that that's the thing is, I think you've also got that. That's where the difference comes between um, Nicola Sturgeon and Boris Johnson is that Nicola Sturgeon went to Greenwood Academy, which yes. is a school that both you and I know um, yes. because it's not far from where we grew up. And um, it's a very, you know, it's a decent school, but I don't know if it exists anymore. But it was, um, uh, uh, how to phrase it? It was a, it's a working class institution. It's a very, just a normal school. Yeah, a normal a school. Normal school. A lot of working class families, yeah. and it's certainly a far cry from what Boris Johnson would have experienced in his school days. And a lot of his cabinet. And the majority of his cabinet, yes. And I think that that's what causes difficulties, is that there is that people, resentment yeah. there. Uh, and there's that, also that perception that every single person that's in the cabinet uh, that has children, they go to private school. Exactly. And the private schools are not going back till September. So there's this idea that the, the kind of posher richer children are being protected from the coronavirus mm. whereas the normal ones are not they're seen as slightly seen as cannon fodder you would probably say exactly and i think i've talked before that um on this that sometimes first thing in the morning i wake up really really early like three o'clock in the morning or whatever every day and i switch on the radio and i'm normally for hospital radio obviously obviously and i listen to the radio for around about 40 minutes and then i fall back asleep but the radio just stays on. And when I wake up again properly, um, and I listen to talk radio through the night, the actual station talk radio, uh, mm-hmm. which at three o'clock in the morning is actually quite interesting. 
Um, all manner of different conversations come up. But at 6.30, um, Julia Hartley Brewer oh. starts her shift. Mm. And uh, normally I've switched it off by 6.40. Um, but she said, for example, this morning, uh, uh, not this morning, but maybe yesterday morning, actually. And obviously, the, she said something in a, like a really sort of tired voice. She was like, and obviously, we've still got the issue of schools and whether they're going to be opening. And unions are still asking whether it's safe and whether it's right for children to go back. Well, it is safe. Oh, that's fine. And I'm like, you can't say that because you can say... No. From looking at the evidence that's been provided to us so far, it appears that it's doing the yeah. co the cost benefit analysis. It's better that schools open and that all the yeah. children that we were talking about last week who um, are basically prejudiced against in this sort of homeschooling world can go back to school. There is a very solid argument that on a cost benefit analysis, when you look at how many people might get sick, it's probably works out for the best that you open. I'm not saying I agree with that argument, but it's a perfectly legitimate one. It's not a legitimate argument to say it is safe, full stop. Yes, without any evidence, without presenting an argument, without presenting any counter-argument, just to simply say it is safe. It is safe, because the thing is, we don't know if any of it is safe yet. We don't know if any of it is. We don't know, like... Do you think that the people who are very fervently it is safe to open schools are probably some of them anyway were the same people that said Brexit was a good idea. They're virtually all identical. Yes, I would imagine so. Like there's virtually nobody that I've seen that has been a very hardline Remainer person who is saying we desperately need to open everything now. Yes, we need the economy going, we need the schools and it's ironic because a lot of these people who voted for Brexit were the same ones that said they didn't care about the economic damage that would come with Brexit because Brexit was more important. And, it's and yet now we're faced with a deadly pandemic. Oh, we need to get that economy. We need to get that economy going. Never mind the, the school kids being at risk and the pensioners being at risk. Let's, let's just get the economy going. That's the most important thing. Oh, and Brexit still needs to happen too. And also they're the same people that are saying, look at Germany, look at Denmark. If they can do it, let's let's learn from them let's work did you together. hear the comparison like this week when boris was doing his pmqs he was bragging about the fact that we now test more people than germany that's 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 the only thing they can actually now brag about is that they now lead testing although i'm sure you followed the story this week where we found out the actual truth of the figures mm. to do with the testing which i i actually i wasn't shocked you know, they announced, for anyone that doesn't know, they announced this week that when they're doing their testing numbers, they do a nasal swab and they do a saliva-based um, swab. And what they're doing now is they're counting that as two tests, even though it's the same person. Yeah. So when they were sitting at about 60, 65,000, and then one the next day Matt Hancock came out and went, right, we've got 130,000. All they did was they just started tizing it by two. So that's why we've got such a high number. But even then, to say that, oh, well, we're testing way more people than Germany. If you look at the deaths in Germany per head of population, or even just their total numbers of deaths, we are way, way ahead. Mm -hmm. And they're not mentioning that. All they're saying is, oh, we test more people than Germany. Well, the testing can't be very efficient if we've got more deaths in Germany. No. And the thing is, are we, we're testing more people now. Yes. You know, I mean... In the same way that we're going to quarantine people coming in from other countries, maybe in two or three weeks' time. Yeah. Exactly. It's um, yeah. The the whole thing is is is. I don't know. I, I can't be bothered with that. I can't be bothered with trying to make party political points or 
it's difficult. Patriotic, I mean, it's difficult. Yeah, right. meeting points because I'm just like, oh, people are dying. People aren't allowed to attend funerals. Like, you know, let's yeah. let's not. You know, it should be everyone should be. It's sh- they're 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 trying to win. That's my problem. Is that well, it started. Yeah, absolutely. When it's when this started out, I don't think it was too party political. I think all the parties, the main parties, were quite unified and supportive. Yeah. You know, the, the Labour Party and the SNP were both actually relatively... I mean, Nicola Sturgeon, to her credit, still maintains when she does her stuff and when she does her First Minister's questions, you know, there are people will ask her questions that would give her a, a, a chance to put the boot into the Conservative Party. She won't do it. Wow. She's actually said, like, I, I'm not going to do that just now. This is not about party politics. We do need to work together. Um, but I think in the British Parliament building, it's probably becoming harder and harder not to because all, from what I can see, all our government in the UK cares about, as you say, is winning the next election. And yeah. that's it. They're already thinking about the next election. And Yeah, they're thinking, you know, like, and it's everything is paraphrased. Everything is paraphrased around an almost toxic masculinity of we're the bravest, we're the toughest, we're the, you know, and it's like, we're Britain, we can, we can, we did, we face down the blitz, we can do this. Pubs are open during the blitz. Yeah, exactly. You know, the whole idea that we, all MPs have to go back to Parliament next week. Yeah. Or the week after next, rather. And it's like, why do they need to do that? I don't understand. Like, you're saying if you work from home, if you can't work from home, work from home. They can work from home. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense that they need to go back. Well, it's quite obvious why they need to go back because if you've watched First Minister, sorry, Prime Minister's questions over the last three weeks, when Boris does one of his kind of shouty, non sequitur nonsense answers, and there's no one behind him going, mm-hmm. it really doesn't work. No. And especially when he's got somebody like Keir Starmer sitting opposite him, just looking like a disappointed teacher at him. <laughs> yeah. Just sort of, not, not, no facial expression, just maybe mildly shaking his head. Um, and then standing up and going, yeah, good one, and then saying something back. Boris's blustery ways don't work without the, you know, the three hundred people behind him going. Bah, bah, bah. And so I understand why they're quite yeah. keen to get them back in. And it'll be a real test, I think, of the media and reporting um, when they do all come back. Because are they going to le- keep listening to the words, or are they just going to look at, you know, like? I can't really be bothered with anyone. I mean, the, the sketches that you have in the newspapers about, you know, which are written for humour, like I'm fine with those, but the actual political reporting, BBC News or ITN News or whatever in the evening kind of going, well, Boris Johnson seemed revitalised with energy today. And I'm like, I don't care. What did he say? Yeah, what, <laughs> what did, did he actually, actually say? say? What were his answers to the questions? That's all that He matters. was in good form. He, 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 was, he was very vocal. He was very loud. It's like, yeah. That's nothing about the content, though. Exactly. Uh, I know it's it's funny that we've managed to get to this place in political reporting, is that that somehow matters more. It's like if you watch the football match. In fact, that sometimes can happen with football, is that you get these players who do nothing, but they run around a lot. So everyone says, oh, what a you know, great energetic performer. And you're like, he's a striker. He scored one goal all season. Yeah. You know, but he did good movement off the ball. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't yeah. matter. None of those things matter. Um, but, you know, well, we're in a world where you're apparently allowed to travel 260 miles. That's true. <laughs> Just comings cause. and goings. Yes. Comings and goings, indeed. Comings and goings. Yes, but I mean, that's, that's perfectly legitimate. It's perfectly legitimate. It's any, what any reasonable family man would do. Absolutely. Um, 
if you've got coronavirus. If you've got coronavirus. And you're going to visit potentially elderly, vulnerable relatives. Yeah. That's fine. Absolutely fine. Um, yeah, because, well, especially if, you know, you're going to, you get your wife to write an article that goes in a nationally published magazine about your time in lockdown in London. Um, obviously, it makes sense to write that article. And Absolutely. Not mention that you drove 250 miles somewhere else. <laughs> to drop your kids off to the grandparents because you didn't want the kids to catch coronavirus. Yeah, but it's fine if the parents do, obviously. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, it's not like, of course, that anyone in his family or their family or whoever's family we might be talking about um, had a sibling in London that they could have taken the kids to. No. I mean, that would be madness, wouldn't it? That would be silly, wouldn't it? Which even, by the way, would still be breaking lockdown rules, as my understanding goes. <laughs> but, yeah. But, because, um, you know, I mean, I believe that if someone's really ill, cripplingly ill, that you can't move or whatever, then, yeah, fair enough, at that point, you can make a phone call and the children can be, you know, taken in by other members of the family. But if you're still remotely able... If you're able to drive several yes. hundred miles in a car, you're probably not that ill. No, I mean, we have, we're, we're living in a world now where I believe parents have access to a thing called Netflix. They do. Which, Disney Plus and Netflix are wonders yes. for uh, parents. And iPa- iPods and i not iPods. We don't really use them anymore, do we? iPads. iPads, iPads and um, Xboxes and all the different things that children can be used to look after themselves for a day or two. And adults. And adults indeed, yeah. Very good point. Britbox. Britbox is another. Oh, Britbox, yeah. Wonderful. Excellent app. Yes. And speaking of speaking of Britbox. Yes. Were you watching Goodnight Sweetheart again? I was not watching Goodnight Sweetheart. And I was not watching Ever Decreasing Circles <laughs> with Richard Brown. But at that, your... that, wait a minute, before we get on to what we're going to talk about. Go on. Is Ever Decreasing Circles on Britbox? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But if it is, I would probably watch it just to see if it was any good anymore. Is that the one with Richard Breyer? Br- Richard Breyer's, wasn't it? That was Richard Breyer's and... Paul Egan? Paul Egan was the, the next door neighbour. Yes. Yeah. And Penelope Wilton was Richard Breyer's wife. I think so. And he had a... Because I was going to say Felicity Kendall, but that's the good life. That's the good life. No, and he had a dormobile or something. Yeah, that's right. So he did. Yeah, oh, we're in the we're in the weeds now. Let's get into something far more mainstream. Ian. What were you going to talk about about Britbox? Well, I was just going to talk about the fact that last week you suggested a rewatch of the ITV classic. I say classic very loosely, <laughs> the Lock mm. or the Lock. Yes, I would probably say the Lock every time I say it because I've never really been good with my CHs. Uh, well, you've you've got a slightly English accent, so it's difficult for people with an English accent to say that. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. but um, yeah. So the lock. So let if we just set the scene for a minute. This was first transmitted in June two thousand and seventeen. Yes. So the world was a different place then. We still had Theresa May as our prime minister. We did. Uh, she just lost an election, or kind of, almost, maybe. Who can say? Yeah. Uh, depends who you talk to. Um, yeah, um, there were television programs like Game of Thrones, like Line of Duty mm. that existed. Um, but at the very top of the tree was STV's The Loch. Yeah, I said ITV. I should have said STV. I should have differentiated that. <laughs> Transmitted on a Sunday night at 9pm, if memory serves. Oh, appointment TV, if ever there was. Perfect wind-down television. 
getting yeah. you ready for the week ahead. Yeah. Um, so can you set the scene for us, Ian? Just give us a rough idea of, of what the loch is. Well, obviously it's set around, the loch we're talking about is Loch Ness. Yes. And there has been, well, we, we don't know, actually, because at the start, we see in the, in the opening credits, mm. there's a body floating, chained to a, is it not to a curling, one of those curling things? Yes, it's chained to a curling iron. Yeah, and at the at the bottom of the at the bottom of the loch, it's a very well preserved body. I would also add, but it's a very. I think that's a really good opening. Yeah, no, it grabs you. It really does because you're kind of. It's a bit more like you know we were talking last week about things like Morse and stuff, which is quite a well to do show. It doesn't hit you kind of viscerally like that body does. No, which I do think that that body genuinely does. So we go from that curling iron uh, to an actual curling event <laughs> did you did we did we mention this was an stv production <laughs> it's like could it have been any more scottish really <laughs> and so basically what we have is it doesn't open it basically the, the the opening really is is focused around the idea of these three kids teenagers mm. late teen late teens i would guess who um pretend like kind of do a hoax um loch ness monster remains on a, on a beach yes um and it's kind of quite done for laughs and it's done a bit uh, humorously um so we have that plot thread and it turns yeah. out that one of the people one of the teenagers the teenage girl whose name escapes me now evie evie she is the daughter of the police sergeant in um in the town Yes, the one that was curling at the start. The one that's curling at the start, because it's not Inverness we're in here. It's just a little villagey town type thing, isn't it? Yes, but it is near Inverness because they do they 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 go to Inverness. Yes, even though we never actually see. I think we see a bridge, and that's about it. Yeah, they can only afford location filming. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Although we do get some shots of Glasgow, do we not? At some point, we do. When we're first introduced to Siobhan Finnan's character, I think we get to see a street in Glasgow. Yeah, and then it just cuts to a studio where they're probably not in Glasgow. No, yeah, because uh, yeah. So basically, I'm not sure we're doing a very particularly good job. It's a police procedural, yeah, uh, six part series. This is yeah. the opening. You've got a plot line about this 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 Loch Ness monster remains, which is immediately um, dismissed as a hoax, but it kind of starts off one plot trend because what yes. w- is within Ian? What is within these remains? Ah, oh, there's a human heart within the remains. A human heart within the remains, which is obvious. Which is, and how is that human heart discovered? <laughs> By a wolf. By a wolf who has broken into an abattoir and finds the heart in a bin bag full of remains. <laughs> which both, I remember, like when I did the rewatch, and also when I watched it originally, I remember my only thought throughout that whole scene is. Do you get wolves in Scotland? <laughs> I know, that's what I thought. I, I was Because I was thinking, I was watching it last night and I was thinking, we're going to have to talk about this. And I was like, is that a dog? Or is that a wolf? Do you get wolves? Is it a dire wolf? Is, it, is this a Game of Thrones crossover? Are they truly in the north? I was, I was really confused. Um, mm. So we've got that plot line. Yes. We've also got a plot line of a piano teacher Yes, a kind of secretively gay piano teacher. Indeed, a secretively gay piano teacher is murdered 
at yes. the beginning of the episode as well. That's... And he's just yeah, and he's discovered by Evie's slightly dodgy English teacher. Yes, um, who is also I think, after... doubles as the head of the college. He is also the head of college. Um, I don't know if that's a position, but yes, he's head of college. He's head of college. Um, so, and also we saw at the start that the gay music teacher fell out with the local doctor. Yes, the local doctor seems a bit suspicious as well. I just, I actually just realised that the local doctor was the man that played Van Helsing in the Dracula, reimagining the, oh, God, yes. the Sherlock people. Of course, at Christmas time. That's right. So he is. Uh, yeah. And we should say as well is that, that I think we mentioned this last week, but the, the cast of, of The Loch is actually quite impressive in the sense that you've Not got bad. Laura Fraser, who I think is a wonderful actress. She's great. I like her. Uh, you've got Siobhan Finneran, who's obviously very famous for Happy Valley now, really. Um, excellent actress as well. You've got um, character actor par excellence, John Sessions. As the police chief. As the police chief, doing a very good... I think if you looked up cliched police chief... Yes, in the he and yes, he, there was a, there was a he and the coroner were both basically just taken from cliched police chief and coroner textbook. <laughs> you you've also got the, a man who plays Laura Fraser, who is the police sergeant. Um, her husband, who runs a uh, a boating trip on the loch, he does. Uh, um, who you know, he believes in the Loch Ness monster. He really does, and yeah. that's his job. And he's kind of quite a happy-go-lucky guy. Um, and then you also get Maverick Psychologist, um, who drives up from, I presume, London. Um, listening the, to New Order, wasn't he? Was yes, he listening to New Order. Yeah. Um, come up, played by the great Don Gile. Yes, he's one of your favourite actors, isn't he? Oh, very much so. Um, I've always loved the Gile. Um as one of our former colleagues, he loved a Gile as well. He did, the furry Gile. <laughs> but yeah, so, so you've got Don Gile who plays it like, say, a maverick psychologist who can really get to the bottom and the heart of a case um, through... Um, well, it's a bit weird that he's called up straight away because we have a human heart and we also have the death of a secretly gay um, music piano teacher. teacher. Piano yeah. teacher, yeah. But neither of them seem connected at this point because it's certainly not his heart. It's not the, the piano teacher's heart that's been found. But for no. some reason, we need to employ a psychologist right away. A celebrity psychologist. A celebrity psychologist, which makes me wonder about the police Scotland budget. Yes. They could just bring in a celebrity psychologist. Because John Sessions does mention that at one point. Like, I've seen his fee. Yeah. So he's obviously getting quite a bit of money. Exactly. It's a, it's a very odd, odd... It's also, do you think every single police officer in like the real world, reads books by these types of people. Because in this episode, they've all read Don Gile's book. Yeah, which must be a really, really, you know, best-selling book for for, for such a um, august, <laughs> such, a, such a wide readership. And, yes, um, absolutely. And it seems odd that a little village which has, has really had only one murder, we don't know where mm. the other hearts come from. No. It could have no. come from a cadaver. It could have done. I mean, they, they keep saying it might have come from a medical school. Yeah. That's what they keep saying. Oh, it might have been from one of the, the, the local medical schools. Exactly. So you've got this, this, you've got this melange of plot lines running through. You've also got the dysfunctional relationship between Laura Fraser's police sergeant and her daughter, Evie. They struggle. You've also got Evie's sort of budding romance with one of her friends, who seems a bit of a misfit. Yes. A uh, bit odd, who's got a um, 
is terminally ill, brother? Well, they don't really explain. They just, he's lying in a coma and he doesn't do it. Like, because the only time we see the brother is when the brother, the other brother is bathing him. Yes. Then bizarrely, Evie starts cutting his fingernails. Yes. It's an odd scene. Uh, I wonder if anyone listening to this who hasn't watched The Lock is now thinking, I really need to watch this. This sounds so good. I'm sure they are. I'm sure everyone is. Um, sure they should. It's, it's an excellent piece of television. It is really an excellent piece of television. I think that, that basically, I don't think we want to go into too much. We've not really given away no. plot spoilers because we've just no, set not up really. the plot. Although I will yeah. say this. If Laura Fraser was to lose her job as a police chief, or a police officer, sorry, she would get she would instantly get a job in like an Apple store because... She <laughs> smashed her daughter's phone to pieces in a temper. And then two minutes later, she's sitting at the table with Stella tape and she's put it all back together again and fixed it, which I thought was amazing. <laughs> that was, I do think that the, I think the only, my only explanation for that is that the person who wrote the script wrote that script in 2002. And <laughs> it's taken that long because when you used to throw a Nokia 3310 across a room and it fell apart, you could put it back together pretty easily yeah, with sound tape. If you threw a, a Nokia 3210 at a, a, a wall, the wall got damaged, not the phone. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. <laughs> and so I do think, I remember like dropping my phone and it falling to pieces and me being able to put it back together really quite easily. Yeah. Um, now, well, that would explain that then. Now we all just utterly live in fear that our phones ever touch the ground. Yes, um, it was, a, it was a, yeah. I do think that sometimes the plot of the lock does betray the fact, and, and we'll never know, obviously, myself and you, that whether the scriptwriter did first of all write the plot line and certainly the the first draft in about two thousand, because it it this is what we'll see as we go through to week two, week three, week four, is that it it watches like an episode um, or a television series from about 2002 that's never heard of Line of Duty. Yeah. You know, it's never heard of... of, of... It, is, it is quite an old-fashioned yeah. piece of entertainment. I mean, what I will say is, I mean, I've only watched the first of six, and it's been three years since, since we watched this. Mm. I still quite enjoyed it. Oh, I, I enjoyed it too. I like, I like the scenery. I like the music. I think it's actually very... Because of the setting, it's quite atmospheric. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, I know it becomes less creepy. I mean, I do sort of remember where where the plot's going, but it becomes less creepy um, and atmospheric as the weeks progress. But I I did enjoy it, and we should say that the very la- just as the first shot was ex- was very well done, the last shot of episode one is extremely well done as well. Absolutely, I mean, it's I a similar think... similar shot, but yeah, it's really good. It ends very powerfully and making you want to watch the next week's episode. Um, so so yeah, certainly something to 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 keep watching. I think we'll do that. Definitely. I do like the idea of this feature being called Lockdown. Lockdown, I like it. Yeah. You'll need to think of a jingle. I'm not doing that. Oh, okay. Never mind then. I can't <laughs> play the bagpipes. <laughs> anyway, we should we should begin to draw this to a conclusion. Absolutely. Um uh, so just for, for those of you who, who may not know, Britbox has the lock on it. Um uh, so you can And it's get... also available to buy on iTunes. Yes, and that, Amazon. That, that's how I purchased I, it. Yes, you and I for some stupid reason, both bought it from iTunes at the time. And the wonderful thing about that is you get bonus features. You get behind-the-scenes documentaries. Oh, perfect. And I say documentaries, it's like three or four minutes. Yeah. But certainly something to look forward to. And I'm wondering if the second... Now, we're not going to give in the way, but there's a there's a character 
enters the show. <laughs> is that next week or have we got another two I weeks think, for that, do you think? I think in episode two, if memory serves me right, the character we love watches a television. Oh, that's right. Um, that's all we'll say. So if you see a character watching a television that appears to be in a setting completely different from everybody else, uh, that's the character we love. Just, just know that he's our favourite character on the show. <laughs> Probably our favourite character in television since 2017. Probably the greatest fictional character ever in television. <laughs> yeah, because I think we have to wait till episode five for the true high point. Oh, but... is it number, is it episode, I couldn't remember if it was for This character does something incredibly stupid and annoying <laughs> that we still, three years later, are still annoyed about. But we'll <laughs> get to that in a few weeks' time. Which is why we're doing the lock of I really, if it was for that scene. Once, yeah, once that bit's done, we could probably just stop watching it. <laughs> so to look forward to anyway Absolutely. listener thank you for staying with us thank you for your patience i do think that I'm, I'm kind of reviewing this entire episode in my head now is i do think that when we listen back to it I, I, and also when listeners have listened to it they've just gone through it i think it's quite a quietly angry episode for the first half an hour you think i think so because we weren't making many jokes but we weren't shouting and screaming but i think there was a degree of we're just a bit annoyed by how things are going. I think we've captured the mood of the nation. I think we have. I think. I think we're all, you know, in that British way, we're all very quietly angry with what's going on. Yeah, I think so. And so that's something to think about as we go through the rest of this week. See, let's see how it goes. At least it's a bank holiday on Monday. Not that we can do anything. A bank holiday in lockdown. Indeed. Fantastic. Anyway, right. Take care of yourselves, listeners. Stay safe. We love you. We do. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.